0: Program, our study through Matthew and where we are in the Sermon on the Mount to preach on fatherhood. And I'm preaching on fatherhood. In fact, we're going to take a few weeks to camp out on the topic of fatherhood. We're going to break from Matthew to discuss this. And one of the reasons is because we need to recover a vision for fatherhood, uh, not just in our nation, but in the church. But also because. Fatherhood is a big theme that Jesus brings up. Uh, it's a theme that has kind of been woven into what he's been teaching. Uh, he's about to teach us in this sermon out to pray to God as our heavenly Father. Uh, and so fatherhood is a big part of Jesus' vision for life. And so we want to take a few weeks here to recover a biblical vision of true fatherhood. And we're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 3. Let me go ahead and open us in prayer. though. Would you join me in praying. Well, Father in heaven, we do come before you now, Lord. We, we humble ourselves under your word. We want to hear from you. God, this is, this is unlike any other moment in our week. Here we are with friends, with family, with the, with the people of God. Sit under your living word. So, Father, we invite you. Speak to us personally. Speak to our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our world is filled with fathers, filled with dads and filled with fatherhood and all its manifestations exactly because it is a world created by God the Father. In other words, God wasn't looking for something in creation to help us understand his love, his faithfulness, his watchful care. And so he grabbed fatherhood and said, hey, okay, I'm something like that. I'm like a father. Now, God doesn't point to fatherhood like, I point my son to a hero in a movie or in a book and say, we ought to be like that. No, fatherhood exists and is at the very center of existence because the father created the world. Thus, the world has to reflect that reality. As an aside, this was brought home to me in a fuller way a few years ago. We were, you remember we studied through Exodus? And we worked through the Ten Commandments, uh, one by one. Some of them we spent a longer time on. And the fifth one is what? Honor your father and mother. Mother? Honor honor mother too, but go for mother first. And it was studying that passage that I read an exposition by Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor who lived in the 1600s, uh, talking about that commandment. And his words just opened my eyes to something in Scripture I hadn't seen before. Uh, Let me share with you what he wrote. He said, Father, in the Bible, is of different kinds. As the political, the ancient, the spiritual, the domestic, and the natural. There is the political father, the magistrate. He is the father of his country. The scripture calls kings fathers. Kings shall be nursing fathers, Isaiah 49, 23. There is the grave ancient father who is venerable for old age on whose wrinkled brows and in the furrows of his cheeks is pictured the map of old age. <laughs> I like that. These fathers are to be honored. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. 1 Timothy 5. There is the spiritual father as pastor and minister. Though ye have 10,000 instructors, have yet, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4. There is the domestic father, that is the master. And by this, we would almost correlate that today to the kind of the business leader. He is the paterfamilias, the father of the family. Therefore, Naaman's servants call their master father, 2 Kings 5.13. And the saturian calls his servant son, Matthew 8.6. And there is the natural father, the father of the flesh. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, Hebrews 12.9. So in this, I saw just an, an obvious truth that I had never considered before, something I'd never seen it before, that they are all fathers, kings, governors, judges, police officers, principals, teachers, bosses, pastors, older men, dads, they're all fathers in God's eyes. And, and this is what I meant a minute ago when I said that our world is filled with fatherhood in all its manifestations. Whether you are single or married, childless or have a quiverful, by virtue of your manhood, you are called to be a father wherever God places you. You are called to assume responsibility and exercise authority in a fatherly way, whether it's over a household, a city, a business, a classroom. The children of a brother who died, a a platoon of Marines, a shift of employees, or a church. Men are called to be fathers. I'd go so far as to say, in Scripture, the vision of a mature man is that he is a father, wherever God puts him. But the most central call to fatherhood is in the home world is filled with fathers because God is the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. that said because this world has also fallen into sin and rebellion through the disobedience of Adam our first father note the significance of fatherhood in the fall as well Because this world has fallen into sin and rebellion, it is also a world filled with false information about fathers. So fatherhood is woven into our reality because it's made by God the Father Almighty. But so too are lies and distortions about fatherhood. And this is because there is also a father of lies, the devil as Jesus calls him in John eight forty four. And for this reason, to study what fathers should do and what fathers should be like, we can't just go out into the world and say, well, this is what a good father is like. There's truth about fatherhood out there because there's truth about God out there. All of creation attests to God in some way or another, but there are also lies about fatherhood out there. So we can't just look at at the world to try and figure out fatherhood we have to look at what scripture teaches and yet even here we don't have hardly any good examples in scriptures of a good dad every dad in scripture seems to be shot through with failures i mean like maybe the best we get is jesus's dad joseph and that's because we're hardly told anything about him as a father Because of sin and Satan, there is a shortage of good dads in the world and even in Scripture. And so that's why today we want to look at God the Father to get an idea of what sinless fatherhood. Now I realize, especially for you dads, taking a few weeks to study fatherhood might feel like taking a few weeks to study evangelism or prayer. In other words, things that we're all bad at and regularly feel condemned over. And all God's people said, oh no! I need gospel, not law. I need grace, not condemnation. You have a Mother's Day sermon and you affirm the moms. You have a Father's Day sermon and it's like, dads, do better. I get that. Believe me, though, I want this to be gospel-driven. Listen to this. The last gospel promise in your Old Testament is found in Malachi 4, verse 6. The last gospel promise in the Old Testament. And it's this, that Jesus will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So friends, this is gospel. This is not legal condemnation. This is gracious promise. I want this whole series to be gospel-driven and grace-motivated. I'm not out to arm your wife with passages to use against you. Ladies, I'm also talking to you, right? And neither do I want to justify, dads your own bitterness towards your dad. No, we are all sinners here. We all fall short of the glory of God and none of us can stand if the Lord should mark iniquities against us. So we all need forgiveness and we all need God to straighten us out. Listen, I've heard it said before that revival is not more of what we already have. In other words, revival isn't first a quantitative difference. More churches with with messed up people. That's not revival. Revival is first a qualitative difference. Less messed up people in the church. Then it becomes revival. Is not more of what we already have, but is more of what we don't have yet. So we have plenty of finger pointing at dads now. Hey, dad, you should do more. You should be like that. You should be like him. You should be doing this. Why aren't you doing that? And we have plenty of finger pointing at dad. I didn't have a good relationship with my father. My dad was a bad dad. We have plenty of that in the church and we don't want any more of it, thank you very much. All God's people said, amen. What we are after instead is true revival. We want more of what we don't have yet. More of what Jesus has purchased for us. The hearts of fathers turn to their children and the hearts of children turn to their fathers. And so to this end, we want to look at a passage today where we find the heart of the Father Almighty turned to his beloved son. I remember studying this. At first, it was laid open for me by Douglas Wilson, one of his books, and, and, and it just so powerfully impacted me. Here it is, Dad. Not just what a father does, but what a father is like. And what is true about God, this can be true of us, dads Not perfectly, but through Christ's power. So let's look and let's learn. Matthew chapter 3, and let's go back to verse 13, actually. I waited if I would wait 13 through 17, but let's do that. Let's 13 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold a voice from heaven said this my beloved son with whom I am well Look at what we learn first from Jesus here in his baptism this is too good to pass over Uh, We're going to get to fatherhood in just a second. But first notice, Jesus came to John to be baptized. And let's remember, John was offering a baptism of what? Repentance. So Jesus, the sinless one, presented himself to John, a sinner, to receive a baptism of repentance. John got all this, and that's why we're told he would have prevented it. He said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Nevertheless Jesus insisted saying, "Let us fulfill our righteousness." Why? Why? Why the sinless one receive a baptism of repentance? Here's why. because Isaiah 52:12 says that Jesus came to be counted among the web. He came to be counted a sinner like you and me. This is the great exchange of the gospel Jesus takes our sin as he gives us his righteousness. And on the basis of this exchange, we are reconciled to God and adopted as his own children. And, and I, I have to highlight this here, not only because it's just great gospel truth, this is a great gospel meditation, but, but dads, I know some of you I've never heard your dad we see God speaking. I've never heard your dad say something like, my beloved son. That hurts. Some of you ladies never, never heard that either. That hurts. It's a real wound. But it's a wound Jesus came. With. The incredible news of the gospel is that He came to identify with you, so that you can identify. So these words God speaks over Jesus in Jesus in Jesus you have been adopted God you may not have had a good father but now you have a perfect father Jesus has turned God's heart to you and he turns your heart Father, that you can hear these words. You are my beloved Son. That's the good news of the gospel, And that's too good to pass over here at the beginning. But that leads us then to verses 16 and 17, where we are given a glorious vision of the heart of a sinless father. Here's what a father's heart turned to his son should look like. As one commentator put it, there will never be a more perfect father-son moment than this one. So dads, this is the concert pitch of fatherhood. You know what a concert pitch is, right? Like if you go to an orchestra performance, and they always have the violin, the first violinist stand up, and they play that note. And then all the other that pitch, all the other the instruments then tune themselves to that pitch, right? That's the concert pitch. Everything gets tuned to that. And here in Matthew 3, is played the pitch that a father's heart needs to be tuned to, needs to match. This is our tuning note. And I have six things I want to point out to you that we find here. About what the heart of a father turned to his son looks like. First, I want to show you is that when Jesus came out of the, father, out of the water, his father was there. He was present. When Jesus came up out of the water to begin his ministry, the heavens were open to him, and Jesus' dad was there for him. The father was present. He was not an absent dad. My high school sports career consisted of swimming. Year-round, I swam. And my memory of my dad was that he was always at my swim meets. He was present. And that was something um, because even though I was a decent swimmer, to be honest with you, I was, I, did not, I was not as good as I could have been. Why? Because I was lazy. Because I didn't work hard as I could have. Because I'd rather have fun than work hard. And my dad tried to help me with this. He tried to show me. He tried to appeal to me. He tried to encourage me. He tried to exhort me. And I just wanted to hang out with friends. I just wanted to talk. And so I imagine... I've never even talked to my dad about this, but I imagine that my swim meets were maddening to my dad, maybe even embarrassing to my dad, because he saw the potential that I was wasting, that I could have. But, but my dad was there. He was present. The father's heart turned to his son. Present. The second thing I want to show you is that the father made his presence felt by sending his spirit to rest on Jesus. So he was not just present, but detached. He wasn't there, but aloof. No, God was present and engaged. The father was attentive to his son, and his son knew it. Third, the father related to his son by speaking to him. He related to Jesus by speaking to him. The father was there, he was engaged, and the father communicated to his his son, why were the heavens open to Jesus? So that his father could speak to him. Fourth, what did he say to him? Well, he said, this is my beloved son. Now, set beloved for a minute aside for a minute. He said, this is my beloved son. This is my son. So the father claimed Jesus as his own. That's my boy. He claimed him as his own. Fifth, the father expressed his love for his son. He said, this is my beloved son. He set his affection upon him. And sixth, and finally, the father expressed his pleasure in his son. He said, with whom I am well pleased. So the father communicated not just his love for his son, but also his delight in his son. He's he's proud of his boy. So there we have it. At least six things that characterize the heart of a father turned toward his son. He's present with his son. He's attentive to his son. He speaks with his son, or I mean, he um he yeah he makes his presence felt to his son. He communicates with his son. He claims him as his own. He tells his kid he loves him, and he tells everyone else that too that can hear it. And he's proud of his son, and he makes sure his son knows it. This is what the heart of a sinless father looks like, and it's the pattern we're to follow. So dads, the more our hearts are lined up with what we see here, the more our hearts are lined up with the heart of the true father. And the more our hearts are truly tuned, turned towards our children. But the more we veer from what, this pattern, the less so. Now that said, we, I, remember, we live in a fallen world. It's a broken world. This is a world of rebellion. So no humanly father can ever be all things all the time to his kids. Sometimes dads have to work late. Sometimes dad have to travel. Sometimes dad have to go to war. Sometimes dad gets sick or injured and can't be with the kids as much as he'd like to or in the way he'd like to. These kinds of things happen in this life. But my point is, exceptions like those can't become the rule. For example, if I say a dad should provide for his family, you can't run to the quadriplegic and say, well, what about him? Well, the exception's not the rule. If i say scripture teaches us not to lie you can't run to rahab hiding the spies and say well ha, ha that justifies lying no the exception is not the rule you have to come to scripture like an adult you have to come to scripture and see how something is presented in its ideal and then aim for that you do your best to conform to it now suppose we consider the opposite of god's good example here If God is the archetypal father, what would an anti-father look like? Well, first, we'd see he'd be absent, not present. I won't cite statistics about absent fathers or divorce in our country today. You have heard all these things. You know the stats are bad. But I don't want us looking primarily out there. I want us thinking about in here. 1 Peter 4.17 says, judgment begins at the house of God. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that we have to remove the log from uh, from our brother's eye. We have to remove, or to remove, yeah, the speck from our brother's eye. We have to remove the log from our own eye. So we start with ourselves. We start right here. A bad dad is an absent father. He's gone. But if he had to be present, second, he wouldn't be engaged. He wouldn't be an engaged dad. He's there, but he's emotionally absent. Maybe instead he's focused on sports or on a book or on the newspaper or on some project. He, he's around, but he's not really with his kids. Third, an anti-dad doesn't speak to his children. He doesn't talk to them. I don't mean like he's angry and he just blocks them out. I mean he just he just isn't sensitive to them being there and wanting a relationship. He's quiet. He doesn't share with his kids what he's thinking about or what he observed. He's not instructing his children. He's not opening his heart to his kids. And he's not drawing their heart out either. He's quiet. I recently read about a a Christian family who lost a child. And as you can imagine, it was devastating for the family. But the way the father coped with it was he busied himself traveling with work. He traveled here, there, and everywhere. And he was gone half the time, but then the family's testimony was even when he was home, he was still gone because he barely spoke with the kids. He he sat in his chair and he read his paper or he read his books. Dinner was a quiet affair at that home. The dad was there when he was there. But he didn't speak. He shut down. So a bad dad is a quiet dad, and if he's quiet, then he's not going to do the fourth, fifth, or sixth things. He's not going to identify with his kids. He's not going to claim them as his own. He's not going to tell them how much he loves them. He's not going to communicate how much joy they bring him. He's not going to be saying, this is my beloved son, or this is my beloved daughter, and he's not going to praise them or affirm them. A bad dad withholds praise from his kids. Now to this last point about praising and affirming your kid, uh, i've heard something before that might be helpful here sometimes parents struggle praising and honoring their children because they think you know they're going through a rough patch of disobedience uh, or maybe it's a hard season of rebellion and you think if you encourage them or if you if you, if you then they're just not going to grow in the areas they need to grow and and you're just thinking like man this is a hard season of disobedience right now and and listen jace you don't get it there're no jesus here okay Well, let me remind you, parent, father, you're no God the Father either. Is that fair? Think about it this way. The distance between your child and Jesus is probably about the same distance between you and God the Father. And yet your Father encourages you. Your God or your Father speaks words of life over you so we should speak words of life. Honestly, parents, I think our kids need to hear our encouragement and affirmation way more than we think. Words of life. I'm not saying you should just sweep all their sin under the rug. No, You got to deal with their sin, but think about how loving and affirming God is. I mean, think about when you're struggling with sin so badly, when you're when you're just, oh, just wrestling with this sin in my life and I can't get rid of it. When you come in on a Sunday morning, you want to hear not like more conviction about that. More. What you want to hear is words of life. God still loves me in the midst of this. He still, he still draws near to me in the midst of this. He still sees other things in my life that he can affirm in the midst of this. This is not all that I am. And our children need to hear the same thing. It's grace, it's affirmation that so often motivates them to keep going and to keep growing. If that's what we need, that's what they need. They need to hear our delight. And so I just want to encourage parents, let's just be an encouraging family. Not only an family, not just an encouraging, but let's not be less than encouraging parents. All right, that was my aside on that. Back to the anti-father who isn't present. He isn't engaged. He's not talking to his kids. He doesn't tell his children that he loves them or he delights in them. His heart is actually turned from his children. And generally speaking, this is what provokes children to anger. Ephesians 6.4. Listen, you have to instruct and discipline your kids. The Bible says that we do. We need to do this. We'll talk about this more later. But listen, when you do these things, instructing and disciplining your children, yet your heart is far from your kids, when you instruct and discipline them, but your kids don't have your heart, that's how fathers sinfully provoke their kids to wrath. You see what I'm saying? Like this could be like a pattern in your life or this can be a slice in time. When your kids do not have your heart, that's when you provoke them to wrath. You don't stop instructing them or stop disciplining them. You need to do that by giving them your heart in the midst of it. So like with my little kids, when they throw a tantrum because it's time to clean up, but they want to keep playing, if I immediately buckle down with impatience, any parent ever did that? Buckle down with impatience or exasperation and tell them, That's it! I have told you, obedience in this home is fast, happy, and all the way. I sound so happy, right? It is so happy and fast, and it's all the way, and you better start picking up your toys right now. I mean, had any parent ever done this? Two of you, three, four, okay, excellent. Some of you are humble in receiving this word, others of you keep working at it. Okay, listen. I have done that, okay? And what I have found is it provokes my children to anger. They usually say, no. And then I say, yes, you know, to the bathroom for discipline, right? Like, it's a contest of wills and of anger at that point. All the difference in the world is made when I stop and I get down on their level and I look them in the eyes and I tell them, are you upset because you want to play with me? Yes. And you're mad that daddy said, no, we have to pick up. Yes. You understand it's time for us to eat dinner, and Daddy needs you to obey so that we can go have dinner with the family. And so I you know you want to play, but Daddy needs you to you know how often my kids turn. Or they or they they change into I can see it internally. Obey, Dad. Now, not always. Sometimes they still say, no! But then it's clear to me. Like, you are in disobedience. You're not in emotional confusion. You're not struggling and needing help. Like, you're just saying no to me when I've given you my heart. And so out of love, I can discipline you. But you see, when I when I don't give them my heart, when I give them my will instead, it provokes them to hate. Kids receive instruction and discipline a lot better when our hearts are turned toward them. However, when a father's heart is not turned towards his kids, when he's absent, emotionally unengaged, not claiming his children, not talking to them, not telling them he loves them, not delighting in them, not only is he the anti-father but he's also a lying father. This is because he's still their dad. He still holds the office of father, but he's discharging it in a way that lies about true fatherhood. So dads, we need to understand this. We are always speaking about God the Father. Even our silence is saying something. It's saying God doesn't open his heart to his kids. It's saying that he doesn't speak words of life and affirmation or take an interest in us. But guys, here is his word. We know he speaks. And in this word, he tells us his heart is so for us, he gave his son for us. So we know his heart is for us and open to us. You see, all fathers are speaking about God the Father all the time, and dads, the truth of this should lead us to repentance. It's not condemnation. God's not out to make us feel bad, but conviction should lead us to repentance, which takes us to revival. It takes us to a place where we become more than, than we already are yet. To know our Father in heaven better and to become more like Him. In Ephesians 5.1, uh, Paul applies. There's all this gospel teaching, all this gospel doctrine, all this, this is how you're brought to God and you can be made like God. And then in Ephesians 5.1, he says, Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate your father. So dads, application. It's going to sound real familiar. We're just going back over the same list. First, be present. Be there for your kids. Again, I'm not saying God's not going to call you to work long hours sometimes. But I am saying, generally speaking, to be there for them. And if your job keeps you from that in a major way, then you may need to make a major change. If your hobbies keep you from your kids, you may need to change your hobbies or how you do them. Be there for your kids. And make sure you know the things that are really important to them that you be there for. They may not be important to you in and of themselves, but they become important to you because they're important to your kids. The soccer tournament, the spelling bee, the first day of school, find out what's really important to them, and not just because your wife told you so, although that's helpful. Thank you, wives, when you do that. But let's not depend only on that. Let's find out because we talk to our kids, draw it out, and they tell us what. Be there for your kids. And while you're there, second, be engaged. Be with your kids. Need I say this? Don't be on your phone when you're with your kids. And dads, just a word of advice as you lead your family. No phones at the dinner table. Pay emotional attention to your children. I love this saying from Jim Elliot. It applies into lots of areas of life, but here's a great one. He said, wherever you are, be all. there. Wherever you are, be all there. Dads, be all there with your kids. Look them in the eyes while they talk. Make your presence felt. Let them know you care by giving them your attention. Third, talk with your kids talk with your kids. When you're there with them and engaged, say something. Hey, bud. How you doing? If you're at a soccer game, cheer for them. Now don't embarrass them, right? Like don't be that airhorn parent. Whoa! You know, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> No, I don't know who that is over there. I mean, looking, they do kind of look like my. No, like don't embarrass them, but let them hear you. Talk to your kids. Engage them. My kids right now, my older kids, they're obsessed with Pokemon. <laughs> I take an interest because they're interested. They can talk and talk and talk about Pokemon. If you don't know what Pokemon are, God bless you. It is not a cross you must bear. You do. And you do too because you're a good dad. Pokemon powers and strengths and weaknesses and how helpers can be used and how Pokemon can be involved and love compels me. I have long conversations with my kids about Pokemon and to even invest in some cards and try to play the game with my kids. I, I talk to them about what they care about. Fourth, claim your kids. Claim them as your own, identify with them. Look for opportunities to take your kids with you to places so that you can say, this is my son. This is my daughter. Look for opportunities to claim your kids before others. I don't care if you take them to Lowe's and you're checking out and you're like, yeah, I'd like one of those thingamajogas. And by the way, this is my kid. Claim your kids as your own. Before them, with them, to them. Write them notes signed, love your dad. Let your kids know you claim them. Fifth, tell your kids you love them. Tell, you, tell your kids you love them and tell others you love them. Do not assume things like this go without saying. If ever they could go without saying, it would have been between God the Father and God the Son, but it didn't go without saying. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. Tell your kids you love them. Look them in the eyes and tell them, I love you. Embrace them with a huge hug and say, I love you. Walk hand in hand on the street and say, I love you. And here I should share something I, I once read in a parenting book somewhere. In a relationship, love is food, not information. Maybe I read this in a marriage book. I don't know where I read this, but this is a good point. Love is food, not information. Let me say it like, let me, I'll explain it like this. I'm sure you've heard the quip before about a man on his wedding day saying, I love you and if things ever change, I'll let you know. Horrible, right? That's love like it's information. Like your social security card or number. Store it away until you need it. But love is not information in a relationship. It's more like food. Once you fed on it, you need to be served more of it. Love is devoured in a relationship. It's emotionally consumed. It's taken in and used by the soul. So it's not enough to say at once or to show it once, and then never again. No, you have to keep feeding the one you love. So it's not enough to tell your kids every now and again, hey, yeah, I love you. But most of the time, just assume that. Just know that. Don't. They need fed a regular diet. So keep on. That's a good word for marriages, too. And then, six, finally, praise your kids. Praise your kids. Tell them how much you enjoy them. Tell them what you enjoy about them. And tell them how proud you are of them. Praise your kids. Now, this is not the same thing as stoking their ego. I'm not saying that. But don't withhold your praise because you're afraid they'll become conceited. Here's the difference my kids play soccer. And if after one of them makes a goal, I go and tell them, you are such an amazing kid. You are such your team needs you so badly. It's amazing. Oh my goodness. You're a rock star or all star. Get my metaphor correct. You're so incredible. You are so incredible. That's bad praise. That's praising them. And that makes them conceited. That encourages them to think more highly of themselves than they ought. But praising them for doing a good job That was a great shot. Way to make a move around that person. When you praise the work that they do that is excellent, that teaches them to forget themselves in pursuit of a higher goal, in pursuit of excellence, in pursuit of pleasing other people, in pursuit of serving other people. So praise your children for the good that they do. That's the heart of a father. Towards his children. All right, let's let's conclude all this. Let's wrap this all up. And I want to end on a note of grace. I said I want this whole thing to be gospel driven, and I, I meant that. But let's not forget how the gospel works it undoes us before it builds us back up. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him first. Come and die. So, before we become imitators of God as beloved children, we need to confess that we're not like God the Father. Tune our heart to the heart of the one true Father. We have to identify where we are out of tune. So, dads, today, If you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. If you're convicted, embrace conviction. Humble yourself. Dads, confess your sins. Freedom in confession. For if we confess our sins, our Father in heaven, faithful and just, to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So dads, have faith in your father who forgives. And have faith that with his son, he has opened up the way for you to become a better dad. Not a perfect dad, but a better dad. Dad after God's own heart. That's gospel truth. Father in heaven, Father, we we just praise you for being an incredibly good father to us, Lord. The word was shared earlier today, even when we were in sin and in rebellion, yet you set your love upon us and you gave your son for us. So that we might be made children of God, Father, we thank you for your love washes over us, Lord. You know all our deepest faults and failures, still you love us, and you are faithful to forgive us every time we confess. I pray that fathers today here are not suing in condemnation, but that they are cleansed rinsed in forgiveness and then renewed to go in faith and live out this gospel truth that you have gotten. for. God, I would pray that you would help us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill your dads here with your Holy Spirit to be dads after your own heart, have our hearts turned towards our children. We ask this in Jesus' name.